Um, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15 is where we're going to find ourselves uh, today in week 5 of a series that we've called Sacred 8. And it says this, after this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. What I love about this moment is it tells us who Jesus was. Uh, Jesus never walked away from the sick. He was always amongst the sick. I think that's such an important reality for us to understand right now in the time and the space that we're living in, that Jesus has never abandoned us. He has not abandoned you, that he's been right in the middle and stands right in the middle of our sickness. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Verse five, so when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, now this is what I want us to see, this is really important. Talking to Philip, he said this, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? This is why he asked Philip the question. He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, come on, everybody online, shout full. If you're at home right now, come on, shout full. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that were left over and by those who had eaten. And when they had saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. And therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Today, as we continue on in our series, Sacred Aid, I want to speak to us from the subject, there's a reason for this. There's a reason for this. As we look at how God uses moments in our lives, especially difficult moments, challenging moments, to reveal who we are and what we rely on most. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we love you, we worship you. I thank you for this amazing church. And while not in our physical locations, we are still the church where we are gathered in houses and kitchens and in bedrooms and in living rooms and in cubicles and on phones and and on tablets all across our great state, our nation and our world. And so we are the church and we are part of a global church, one that has joined together in unison in these moments to declare your praises, to declare that you are king, to declare that you are good. And so I thank you for what it is that you're doing in this place, and I pray right now that you would speak to us, that you would teach us, that you would do something new in our lives right now in your mighty name. We pray all these things. Come on, and everybody shout it. Amen. Um, I don't know about you, but as a father with kids, I get this question asked a lot. Why? Why? My son and my, my two daughters, even my two-year-old daughter, the youngest of my, of my kids, she will ask the question, why? And then when you give the answer, she will ask the question, why? Again, come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? My son right now is a nine-year-old. He's a wire. Why is this? Why does this happen? What is, what is this about? Why? 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 It's always why. And here's what I've come to realize is I've examined my kids asking the question, why? In this moment, in this time, and in this situation that we're facing, 
we're asking the same question. Why? Why are we going through this? Why is this happening? Why are we facing this? I didn't think 2020 was going to be like this. Why am I in this situation? We have to ask the question. It's like this innate human design within us. Why? And I think it's an important question for us to wrestle with. And what I've come to realize is that that on the backside of that question, the answer is, is there is a reason for all of it. We may not like the reason, we may not like what's going on, but there is a reason why we go through the things that we go through in life. And the reality is, is for many of us, we may see this as a virus, we may see this as a global issue that we're facing, but I actually see it as a greater issue right now. I actually see it more as a test. Not that God has caused this, but rather God can use it to reveal some things about us, to show us some stuff about ourselves. See, God will use any moment that we find ourselves in to reveal who we are and what we rely on in in life. And it was no different with Philip. I love what happens because here they're met with a predicament and Jesus asks questions to Philip in advance knowing what was going to happen, knowing how the story was going to play out, knowing how the situation was going was to flesh itself out. He did this, why? To test him. Because, come on, if you're honest with me, if I'm honest with you, moments like this that we are in, they test us, and in the testing, they show us what's going on in here. Come on, somebody with me today. And so that's what I really want to deal with is why? Why do we go through these things? Why are these things a part of life? Why are these things a part of, of faith? Now, before we get to some of those answers, I want to talk a little bit about who Philip was, because I think understanding who Philip was is crucial to understanding this moment. So I need you to lean in with me today. If you're on your couch, you may have your pajamas on, but come on, sit up straight, sit on the edge of your couch, grab your coffee and lean in with me for a few moments because understanding who Philip is, just as much as understanding who ourselves are, when we understand who Philip is, it helps us understand why Jesus tested him the way that he did. So who was Philip? Well, his name was Greek. It meant lover of horses. Come on, somebody. How would you like that? Hey, why did you name, what's my name mean? Lover of horses. So Philip's name meant lover of horses. And that is the only name that we have for him throughout the entirety of the gospels. Because of this, it was safe to conclude that more than likely Philip came from a family of Hellenistic Jews. This was a Jewish family that had assimilated much of the culture and traditions and language and customs of the prevailing Greeks at that time. According to John 1, 43 through 51, Philip was from Bethsaida in Galilee, also the home of Andrew and Peter. As well, we know that he was one of the first to follow Jesus. And he would introduce Nathanael to Jesus as well in these moments. After many of these moments, we don't know much more about his past and background. However, the book of John gives us great insight to who he was and more specifically, his personality. 
Through what John records about him, it seems that Philip was a process person. Come on, where are my process people at? All my A, B, C's, one, two, threes. You like to have it in order. You're, you're calendared. Maybe, you're, uh, maybe your pantry at home is, is labeled alphabetically. It's color-coded. Everything is nice and orderly. Process person. He was a facts and figures type of guy. He played by the book. He was practical-minded. He wasn't forward-thinking because everything had to be ordered and and leveled out. He was more than likely the one who was appointed to the group to work out all the travel, food, and accommodations for Jesus. This is why Jesus would have asked Philip first, how do we feed these people? Help me figure this out. He would have worked with Judas as Judas was appointed to oversee the finances of the group as well. He was the kind who tends to be a corporate killjoy, pessimistic, narrowly focused, sometimes missing the big pictures. Anybody like that out there today? Often obsessed with identifying reasons things can't be done rather than finding ways to do them. He was predisposed to be a pragmatist and a cynic and sometimes a defeatist rather than a visionary. That was one side of his personality. This was his natural disposition, if you will. There was Great strengths, but, but great weaknesses. How many of you know that to all of us, there's great strengths to our personalities, but there's also great weaknesses. There's things that allow us to thrive in situations like we're in right now, and then there's other things that are preying upon our ability to survive and thrive in a situation like this. And in many times, it's not what's around us, it's what's in us. Now, we know that Philip had great knowledge of the Old Testament, and with that knowledge, he embraced Jesus immediately and followed him without hesitation because the entirety of the Old Testament was a process-oriented storyline that was highlighting who would eventually come, and that would be Jesus. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, Philip is ready to jump. He's ready to pounce into this newfound relationship and faith. Why? Because that's what made sense. It's what made sense. It's what you do. It was logical. It was the information that he had, and so he went for it. That's the other side of him. He followed Jesus. No hesitation, no thinking about it. Just followed. However, John 6, as they get ready to feed the 5,000, shows how Philip's natural disposition, both positive and negatively, would kick against what Jesus was ultimately trying to do in his life. It was a test. And what I've come to realize in this situation, all of us are being tested right now. Come on, somebody. All of us are being tested right now. This situation tests us. Social distancing tests us. Like, guys, I'm struggling. Why? Because I just want to hug you. Not having our jobs right now tests us. Not being around people tests us. When we turn on the news, it tests us. For many of us, our logic is being tested. Our faith is being tested. Our emotions are being tested. Our sanity is being tested. Come on, all these things are being tested right now just as we watch Jesus test Philip. And then here's the question. Let's go go back to the beginning of this all. And here's the question, why was Jesus testing him? Why does this stuff test us? What was he trying to do in Philip? What is he trying to do in us? And the reality is, is that 
Jesus' story collides with our story and his desire, Jesus' desire, is to bring change to our lives by molding us into all that we have been designed to be by God. And I've come to find out that moments like this, moments that test us, they have a tendency to mold us. Moments that try us have a tendency to define us. And the question is, is will we allow God to do a great work in us in this moment? He's working. We sing this song a lot around here. Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. And so what I want to do is just take a look at two observations, which maybe this whole social distancing thing is getting to my head because it's never two for me. It's always three or four or five. So right now maybe it's just working with me, but I want to look at just two major observations from this moment and maybe hopefully challenge us with this and, and encourage us at the same time. Why, why, why was Jesus testing him? And what was that testing trying to do? And what is that testing doing in us? Here's the first thing that we need to understand about testing moments is that Jesus' tests are natural disposition in order to teach heavenly design. Come on, did you hear that, church? Jesus tests our natural disposition in order to teach heavenly design. John chapter six, five through seven, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. See, I've come to find out that because of brokenness, we have a tendency to rest into our natural disposition. Come on. <laughs> Don't we? Right now, more than ever, we have, the, we have the desire, if we're honest about it, and the tendency to move towards what is simply natural about us. And what I've got to fight against every single day is I've got to allow my faith to fuel me. i got to allow my faith to say, listen, my natural person wants to swing this way, but God has a supernatural design. My natural self wants to go this way, but God has a heavenly design, and I've got the choice every single day which one I'm going to anchor in, which one I'm going to be predisposed to. See, because of brokenness and sin, we default to a natural disposition. One that's contrary to the design for our lives. We, our default mode is skepticism and doubt and unbelief and jadedness and, and cynicism. And, and, and Philip, he saw the situation one way. Jesus saw it another way. Come on, how many of you understand this right now in this moment? There's the way that we view the situation and there's the way that heaven views the situation. And I gotta let you right now, they are two very different perspectives. And I've gotta align my heart with that. I gotta encourage you to align your heart with that, align your mind with that, because there's what we see. Come on, we're faith people. There's what I see and there's what I don't see going on. And more so than ever, I gotta be honest with you. I wanna be the type of person while I ever, like I see the stuff around me. Am I a faith person? Am I a heaven-minded person? Now ultimately, Philip would still be privy to the miracle that Jesus was about to do. 
See, regardless of Philip's lack of faith, lack of understanding, and lack of insight, Jesus was still going to work a miracle. Come on, anybody thankful for a God who's gracious? That at the end of the day, regardless of how we see it and how we behave in it and how we do it, he's still gonna do what he's going to do because he is good, because he is authoritative, because he has the ultimate power on things. See, by testing Philip, he was trying to reveal heavenly design. Was Philip going to see bread and the purchasing of that bread a monetary issue, or was Philip going to see the development of their feeding cycle as a miracle issue? Come on. Come on, shout some amens online this morning. Where are you at? Are we seeing things from a very physical point of view or are we seeing it from a miraculous point of view? Are we seeing what we think we can do or are we seeing what we know Jesus can do? See, one author put it like this and I I think this is telling. He said, Philip was so obsessed with the temporal predicament that he was oblivious to the transcendent possibilities that lay in the power of Jesus. In other words, Philip was so obsessed with what he saw naturally that it negated what he believed that Jesus could do supernaturally. I think we do that, don't we? We get so fixated on what is right in front of us that we fail to to pull back and realize who is for us. We get so locked into the problem that we fail to remember that, that Jesus is capable of so much more. Listen, I'm, I'm totally guilty of this, that I get so fixated on things. I get so, like I get it right up in my face. Like I, I, I can be that person sometimes, it's part of my personality. But the question is, is will I draw back, not to even rearrange my perspective, but to allow Jesus into the focal point of it all? We have to remember up to this point, Philip had witnessed so many miracles. I mean, that's the crazy thing about the disciples is that there were so many miracles, right? There were so many things that they had seen you would think would be par for the course now. That's a golfing term, which which we're not doing right now. And so, (laughs) but you would think that they would get this already and they still didn't get it. His natural disposition was taking over. See, heavenly design is built on faith, It's built on kingdom-mindedness and the power of Jesus. On paper, the situation looked impossible, improbable, and unending. But for Jesus, that was the atmosphere conducive for a miracle. Listen, we have to be so careful not to let the policies of paper limit the person and the power of Christ. Paper says it one way. His power says it another way. The policies of paper will say, this is not gonna, this is, there's nothing possible in this. The policies of paper say, this is the way it's gonna be, but the power of Jesus says something so much more. And you might go, well, that's faith. That's just like, that's blind faith. No, 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 that is what my relationship with Christ has to be. And there has to be a moment where I step over a line and I start to say my, my, to myself, listen, I know that he's more powerful. I know that he's more capable. I know that he has authority over all of these things where are you at in the testing are you being tested I know I'm being tested I know right now as a pastor I'm looking at the situations and the circumstances in front of us how many more weeks are we going to do this how much more time is 
going to go by. You know, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but we've entered into a season here at the well before all of this took place where God had put vision in our hearts and in our minds to lead us forward into something. And my natural temperament right now, what's in me naturally says, man, I should order things and I should, and I should stop and I should stand still and I should, and, and I should hold on for a little bit and, and all these different things. But then heavenly design teaches us, wait a second, when I think everything is literally impossible, there's still a possibility. So you're telling me there's a chance. I guess what this is going to do to all of us, if we're, like, if we're just blatantly honest about things, this is going to test all of our faith to show us where it's really at. What do, what do you really believe? What do I really believe? That's a big question. And I think more so than ever, we are going to have a face-to-face moment with that truth. I know I already am. Where is my faith really anchored? Is my faith anchored in a Sunday by Sunday moment where I gather with other people in a church building and that is the extent of my faith in Christ or now is my faith something way more? Is my faith something deeper? Is my faith something bigger than just my gathering and my habit? And I think for many of us, there is a potential that right now there's some stuff being deconstructed in us because we're used to habitual Christianity versus on fire Christianity where my faith feels everything not just my habit where I get up and I get coffee and I show up at church and I do my hour and 15 minutes and then I leave and I go about my life because right now my faith in Jesus has to be more. Right now my faith has to be so much more than habit. It's gotta be this thing that's in me that keeps me going, that keeps me pushing, that keeps me driving. And so Jesus tests our natural disposition in order to teach heavenly design. Can I just encourage every single one of us right now that heaven has a design for this moment? Like I like to think of heaven's design like Chip and Joanna Gaines. Because let's be real about this. Whenever I watch that show, right? Like I watch that show and they do stuff and I'm like, what? How did you think of that? How did you do that? How did you see that? Like right now my family is obsessed in quarantine with tiny houses, which is really difficult to think about anyways. Why watch Tiny Home during quarantine? (laughs) Makes no sense, but anyways, I digress. But here's the point. I'm watching all the things that they do to make the tiny home work, right? And I'm blown away. Like every single time my mind is blown by what it is that these guys are capable of. And I actually liken it like that. Chip and Joe, they make these amazing, they make miracles happen, right? These tiny home people, they make miracles happen. There's what I see, there's no way that house can become the finished product that Chip and Joe make it. But man, when they do the reveal, you step back and you realize what just happened. They transformed that thing. And that is how God works in our circumstance. That is how God works in our moments. He brings heavenly design, he brings heavenly Heaven's view plan. He brings heaven's blueprints to earth for our lives. So we see what's natural, but I'm asking us today if we can maybe flip it 
and start to see what's supernatural. Here's the second thing that Jesus does. Jesus tests our head, what makes sense, in order to reveal what is in our heart. Come on. He tests our head to reveal what's in our heart. Here, let's put it another way. He offends our head to reveal what's in our heart. So John chapter six, five through seven, lifting up his eyes and seeing the large crowd, he was coming toward him. Jesus said to Philip, what, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him for he knew what he was going to do. The interesting thing was is that while Philip's head was tested in this moment, his mouth revealed what was truly in his heart. Where is there enough money to buy this amount of food? That was Philip's proclamation. He went to a logical, he went to a quantifiable, calculated measurement of what was possible. And Jesus was offending Philip's head. I gotta tell you right now, my head has been offended for the past few weeks. And in moments, it's revealed what's in my heart. Our team had to meet this week, and we said, we asked the question, what, is, what does this look like if we do this for another 15 to 20 weeks? That offends my head. I don't wanna have that conversation. Like, I do not want to engage in this topic of conversation. My head has been offended, and it's revealed my heart sometimes. Sometimes my heart has a big, gigantic, temper, uh, uh, temper tantrum-throwing two-year-old in it. Come on. I don't want to do this. No. We sulk. We get frustrated. Why? Because certain moments my head has been offended, and it's revealed what's in my heart. I'm gonna ask you this question, and this may be a hard one for some of us, but what has this test revealed about your heart? Think about that. What has this test revealed about your heart? Because I know it's revealed some stuff about my heart. Maybe for some of us it's revealed what our heart is truly anchored to. I mean, is it possible that our faith was a logical thing and now it has to be a heart thing? As we process through these days, we process through these, these moments. Erica and I are about to talk through some things with you as a church. For those of you who call this place home, that as we press forward into some things, it's gonna reveal the heart of our church, the heart of our community, the heart of every single one of us. What is this test revealing about what's inside? This is why Proverbs says to us, verse 23 of chapter four says, watch over your heart with all diligence. Why? for from it flow the springs of life. The springs of life. And I'm watching a lot of people's hearts come out right now. 
watching a lot of people's hearts come out on social media right now. watching a lot of people's hearts come out in the news and come out in emails and come out in phone calls. It's our, it's our heart. I want to say this to us today, if I can just be your pastor for a moment. This situation is going to say more about who we are than the situation itself. Think about that. This situation is going to speak louder about who we are as people. Maybe more than anything else we've ever faced. Who does this situation say that you are? That's the thing we've got to wrestle with. Because ultimately this will always lead us back. Situations, circumstances, problems... The things that we face in life, it will always lead us back to looking at our heart as our heart's exposed. And my prayer is this, that we'd be the type of people that can find ourselves in Psalm 51 verse 10 where it says in, in the Bible, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. There's lots of ways that that renewal takes place. But the first stop in that journey is Jesus.